Hi, I'm Ross Parsley. I'm so glad to have you here with us at One Chapel for Easter Sunday. What an incredible opportunity we have to celebrate the victory of resurrection life with Jesus together as one body. One Chapel is a church in Austin, Texas that helps people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing here at onechapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message. I want to start with this question today because there's a lot of people around the world who have different pictures in their mind of Easter. And so I want to begin with this question. When I say the word Easter, what does the, what's the first picture that comes to your mind? You know, it's, there's pictures that all of us kind of have in our mind. It's a pic, it might be a picture of kids. You know, if you say Easter, it's bright pastel suits and dresses hunting in lush green grass for Easter eggs. Aren't they cute? Maybe it's your favorite candy that you think of when I say the word Easter, like Reese's peanut butter eggs. Oh, yeah. There's also the classic chocolate bunnies. Yeah, no, not really. Don't like the chocolate bunnies. What about peeps? <laughs> no, wait a minute. Peeps, like some of you are like looking at like, what are peeps? I, I seriously don't know why anyone likes peeps. I mean, it's disgusting. It's like someone took marshmallow cream and rolled it in sugar and put eyeballs on it. It's like, that's it. Why, why would anyone do that? So actually, actually, this week I did hear that uh, peeps are outlawed in three different states. So I don't, I don't know about that. When I say Easter, though, maybe you see a family looking adorable in all their perfectly matched outfits. Hmm. Or maybe it was that time you tried to get that perfect picture with the Easter bunny, and it turned out very, very wrong. Very wrong. Of course, for Christians, there are deeper and more significant images when it comes to what's commonly known around the world as the gospel or good news story. Christmas is, of course, all about the image of a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Palm Sunday is a a story about the followers of Jesus waving palm branches and laying them at the feet of Jesus, proclaiming that he was king. And then, of course, Easter has several images. We could start with a a pure white lamb. It's an image that represents the sacrifice of Jesus. Because Jesus was innocent and blameless. And Scripture actually says, it compares him to a lamb. He says, he was led like a lamb to his death. The cross, of course, was an instrument of torture that the Romans used all around the known world designed to punish criminals with a very public and shameful death. But Jesus redeemed that image. And it's so interesting, now it's a symbol. The cross is a symbol of hope and life and it's put on church steeples and and on hospitals and on schools and necklaces worn by people all around the world. Then, of course, there's the image of the tomb. It's an interesting image, isn't it? Because when most people picture a graveyard, they think of loss and death. 
the final resting place for our loved ones. And so it's amazing that the tomb, a graveyard from 2,000 years ago, is now the image we associate with light and life and the resurrection of Jesus. Pictures of empty tombs are on invitation cards and church screens around the world today. And in a very real sense, this is what God does. Like he takes a symbol, an image, a, a circumstance, a person, and he redeems them. When we think of the Easter story, these are some of the powerful images that might come to your mind. But to really put the gospel story in our context, maybe the first image we can all identify with is simpler than any of these. What if I told you that one key to understanding and really getting the gospel story is not just the cross or a lamb or the tomb, but it's actually a table. A table. In 2019, the table may actually be where we need to start. Because you see, a table is an image of unity and connection. It's a place where families and friends gather for meals and and meaningful conversations. A a table is a place where business is conducted and leaders decide the fate of companies. It's a place where creatives and executives dream up TV shows, film, tech innovations, and ideas that will change the world. And in the gospel story, the table is the centerpiece of the Last Supper. The Last Supper is a a moment in the life of Jesus crawling with so many great characters and personalities. Now here, this this picture is the most famous of the Last Supper. It's a masterpiece painted by Leonardo da Vinci. Strangely enough, they're only sitting on one side of the table. But these are characters that that we can all identify with. And in many ways, we see ourselves in them. In fact, the Last Supper is such an iconic image that if you Google the gospel story in pop culture, you get some pretty crazy results, right? There's this famous Last Supper scene from the TV show Lost. Do you remember this show? Remember this show? Here it is. I loved Lost. All the millennials are like, what? What is this? What? <laughs> They're in Hawaii. I, I would love to be there. This is a ver- there is a version of the Last Supper with the Game of Thrones cast. <laughs> I'm one of four people in the world who haven't seen that. There's a Star Wars Last Supper. <laughs> Check it out. Star Wars Last Supper. Luke Skywalker in the center. There's even a cereal mascots last supper. <laughs> cereal cereal mascots, Toucan Sam, Count Chocula, Captain Crunch. Here's here's what's interesting. I find it fascinating that you don't see this kind of cultural imagination with any other Easter image. The tomb, the cross, the the people with the palm branches, the road to Calvary, the those are all things, they're, they're almost overwhelming at first. 
and even kind of hard to relate to. But most people can say a table. Now, I can understand that. In our day, maybe a table is a good place to start. After all, if I was going to give you one word to describe the time in which we live, it would definitely not be unity. As a matter of fact, earlier this year, the New York Times wrote a shocking story highlighting all the ways that we as a country are as divided as we've ever been since the Civil War. Today, things are either black or white, Republican or Democrat, red state or blue state, the haves and have-nots, believers or atheists. I could go on, but I don't want to because each of these phrases is a painful prick to our collective American soul. We are now more defined by what we are against than what we are for. But a table... That's something we can see and get our hands on. And we can picture a group of people getting together to set a table. My mom used to make me set the table. I hated setting the table. Now I make my children set the table. And now I think it's fun. I don't know what it is. It's like people gathering together and putting stuff together and getting things on the table and you can smell the smells of a dinner that's coming and it could be for a big meal or an important meeting or there's a hustle and bustle as people are preparing a table for the, the big party or, or maybe the, the family reunion. It could be for a holiday. After all, many of you will leave this place right after church and prepare tables at your own home for Easter brunch or dinner with family and friends. So the idea of setting a table, right, that's something, that's something we can see. That's something we can picture. But a table that everyone is invited to, well, sadly, that seems almost unimaginable in our day. And to some degree, I think it's important to realize that this is the way it's always been. People from opposite ends of the social, economic, or political spectrum sitting down together to share a table has historically been challenging. In stark contrast, Jesus' mission was to obliterate the idea of who belonged and who didn't, who was invited and who was left out to fend for themselves. And so this morning, what if, what if we tried to reimagine? What if we tried to reimagine this scene of the Last Supper? Because it's true. It's true. The Last Supper, probably Jesus' closest 12 followers were likely the only ones invited. But we also know that Jesus sat at many tables <laughs> and talked with everyone. He sat down at a place called Jacob's Well, had a life-changing conversation with a Samaritan woman, even though the Samaritans were outcasts to the Jewish people. Jesus invited a girl named Mary, Lazarus's sister, to be in the room with him and the other men, when, even when Martha, her older sister, insisted 
that her place was in the kitchen preparing food. Jesus actually invited himself over for dinner a few times. (laughs) One of them was with a short, wealthy, despised tax collector with a funny name, Zacchaeus. Jesus spent a lot of time with sick people, like the crippled man whose friends dropped him through the roof, interrupting Jesus' message. Jesus came face to face with a man one time who had leprosy and broke the cultural barrier of his day just by reaching out and touching him. And he was instantly healed. He literally got his hands dirty as he spit in the dirt and made mud and healed a blind man. Gets even more intense than that because there was a demon-possessed guy that Jesus ran across and I can't imagine what this man looked like or smelled like because he lived among the tombs, among the dead as a homeless and totally insane person. And his, his empty eyes unnaturally discolored and his speech erratic. He's the type of person that if you're walking down the street and you see this guy coming, you go to the other side. But Jesus sought him out and delivered him from the hell that he was living in. Now, I want you to imagine, what if, what if Jesus sought you out? What if he invited you to dinner? He might say something like, hey, I want you to come over to my place. Let's grab some tacos and we'll drink Chopo Chico's together and be awesome. And then the next thing you know, during dinner, you're actually sitting next to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And you're thinking, I hope nothing gets stuck in my teeth. (laughs) So what would the picture of the Last Supper look like if Jesus invited some of us living here in 2019 to join him? What would it look like if people in our modern context were at this table? Well, I imagine a young, zealous follower of Jesus who is so excited to be in his presence. Look how excited he is. He'd have a notepad and he'd be ready to jot down every single parable. He'd have his iPhone ready to film all the brilliant words of Jesus because he's a passionate, fearless follower ready to go with Jesus to the ends of the earth but right before the meal he has a setback something went terribly wrong it made him question everything he's suddenly wondering if he heard Jesus right maybe he was misinterpreting things Maybe, maybe the best thing for him to do would be just to call it quits and walk away I imagine a a mom of little kids. She had a successful career, but what she really wanted was a family she could pour herself into. She cried tears of joy when she took her young daughter home from the hospital, and then she cried again a year later when they had their first son. And next thing she knows, she's got three little kids under five, and she hasn't had a good night's sleep in a year and a half. She's at the table with Jesus, but she's praying she doesn't fall asleep while Jesus is talking about the bread and the wine. At the table would be someone who is consumed with money. 
he's wondering how we're going to pay for all this food. Bread and wine don't just grow on trees, you know. This Passover meal is expensive and we have to pay for 13 people. And Peter eats a lot. Or maybe he's thinking, I wonder how we can make money off of this deal. Like maybe we can make history by putting this first communion on Facebook Live. We could get Google to sponsor it and write an awesome clickbait headline. Of course, there would be the skeptic at the table questioning everything Jesus said. None of this is real. You're not real. I don't believe this. And it would take a profound miracle that would happen right in front of my eyes to change my mind. I think at the table you might also find a child. Jesus said that we should all have simple, believing, childlike faith. Most people would probably write her off. They'd say she's too young to be at the table. She's too young to do anything. But Jesus would see her immense value and her potential. On the far end of the table, barely in the picture, there would be the addict. He promised himself that the last time would be the last time. But then this morning it happened again. He can't even look at himself in the mirror let alone stand to be in the presence of Jesus. He's thinking, Jesus, you have the wrong person. You have no idea everything I've done. You don't know what I was doing last night or you would have never wanted me, never wanted someone like me here. There would be others with very significant problems. Someone with crippling anxiety and depression. Someone with cancer fighting a seemingly impossible physical battle. The couple whose marriage had fallen apart. The single mother wondering how she was going to make it through just one more day. The man who had the dream of starting his own business but now is trapped under a mountain of debt and fear. It's a messy picture, isn't it? It feels like there's a lot of sin and darkness and even despair at this table. Somehow the idea of sitting and eating with Jesus seems almost like unimaginable. Like it's him actually there in person while we eat. What do you think? What do you think we would be eating with Jesus? Okay, so imagine I'm Jesus, right? (laughs) That hurts my feelings. It's not that big of a stretch. Come on. All right, maybe in some ways it is. Okay, in a lot of ways it is. I don't have the hair or the beard or the robe or just about anything else that you picture with Jesus. But if you think about it, it really is not that big of a stretch because for those of you who are Christians, you know we're called to be like Jesus. And if Jesus were actually physically here, the honest truth is he'd eat the same meals that we eat. In 2019 in Austin, that means there would be 
queso and guac. Maybe instead of multiplying the bread and fish, Jesus would make sure there were enough breakfast tacos for everyone. I I want you to understand my point. Jesus ate with people and he ate the common food of the day. He was sharing our ordinary humanity. But I want you to think about this because is this gathering right here so different from the Last Supper with Jesus? I think too many of us tend to imagine the Last Supper as this serene, perfect moment. We, we think of Jesus there with a halo of light around his head and the disciples around clinging to every word. But the truth is, the Last Supper was a table full of people just like this group here. But listen, when you really read the Gospels, you see turmoil for everyone at this first table. Because it it was a group of misfits, of dropouts and rejects. You consider Matthew, who was a disreputable tax collector, hated by his own people. Or there's Thomas, who was impetuous and skeptical, always on the edge. James and John were known as the sons of thunder. They were power hungry and fought over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Actually, Peter, Peter would deny Jesus. Jesus told him he would. Peter didn't believe it. Just a few short hours after that meal, he would deny that he had ever known Jesus. And not just once, but three times. The guy wasn't even brave enough to tell a young girl that he followed Jesus. And then there's Judas, who they all loved like a brother. He was sitting in Jesus' presence at the table. He'd already received the payment of 30 pieces of silver to betray his friend. By now, he was feeling the remorse and the guilt over this betrayal and he would later beg the Pharisees for a second chance saying, I have, I, have, I have betrayed innocent blood. They would just answer and say, what is that to us? And sadly, not long after this encounter, Judas would take his own life. Do you see them? That first table was full of messed up people. But Jesus had specifically invited those messed up people to the table to celebrate the Passover meal, the celebration of God delivering the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. But in the midst of that 1,300-year-old Passover liturgy, Jesus shocked them by switching it up and taking a phrase from a Jewish betrothal ceremony. When he lifted his cup and said, this cup I offer to you, I love you. Will you be with me? You see, in the cultural context of that time, offers of marriage were often made at tables just like this. And so at this last supper, at this table, Jesus is essentially doing the same thing. 
It may seem odd to us today, but for Jesus' followers, they understood what he was offering them, his life and his love for theirs. Think about this. Now to this table full of people who would betray him or deny him or run into hiding, Jesus took the cup and looked into each one of their eyes, each one of those messed up people's faces, and he said, I choose you. In spite of what Jesus knew was really in the heart of each of these followers, he said, I love you. I choose you. He chose them even if they hadn't yet chosen him. It was a remarkable moment that has been memorialized for the past 2,000 years when we come to the table of Holy Communion together. And then the unthinkable did happen. It's what Jesus had been trying to tell all of his followers all along. He was arrested, he was beaten, and then crucified on a cross. Imagine the doubts and fears those first followers were facing when Jesus was arrested. They watched as he was brutally beaten with a whip of leather straps embedded with metal shards. Thirty-nine times he was flogged until his body and his face were so disfigured that he was hardly recognizable. Then his hands and his feet were nailed to a cross to die as a common criminal. What were those disciples thinking as they watched Jesus be crucified. Listen, if you've had disappointment and hurt in your life, these followers of Jesus are people you can identify with. They dedicated their lives to Jesus, but watched him and their own dreams die on that cross. They watched helplessly as he hung there bloody and humiliated. But here's the thing, we have to understand That's not the end of the story. Because three days later, the impossible became possible. What had been lost was now found. That which had been captive was now set free because Jesus rose from the grave. Now listen, listen to me. This is exactly what the disciples needed because those at the table with Jesus, those who followed him closely, they were not only in need of forgiveness. They were in need of a a new reality in their own lives. They were in need of a resurrection. They needed to be changed from the inside out to have their reality altered by the miracle of resurrection power and life. They needed the hope that only the resurrection can bring because if if death, listen, if death could be conquered, then anything is possible. Their lives were dramatically impacted by this event. It changed their entire outlook on what was possible. Peter became the founding father of the faith and preached his first message at Pentecost where 3,000 people made a decision to follow Jesus. That's a pretty good first message. The apostle James went on to start the church right there in Jerusalem. 
Almost every disciple literally gave their life to share the gospel and died as a martyr. The only surviving apostle was the apostle John who lived in exile the rest of his life and wrote the book of Revelation. But listen, Jesus' resurrection changed everything for his closest followers who sat at that table. The people they were at the table were different after the resurrection. And because of Jesus' resurrection, that new life, that new reality, that death-conquering transformation is possible for you and me, for every one of us. And I don't know what you walked in here with today, but I do know that God wants to make things new for you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning if you follow him, if you will believe, if you will surrender to him, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And that power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power available to you today to resurrect every dead place inside of you. See, to replace death with life. See, it's true. You, you can move from death to life. That's what Easter's all about. But you see, here's the thing. God doesn't just do new things. He makes all things new. That's what he does. And for you, maybe receiving this new life starts by coming to this table. You're invited by Jesus to come. Just as you are, you're welcome at this table. As messy as your life is, you are welcome here. For the person who's facing a mountain of debt. For the parent who is completely overwhelmed. For the couple whose marriage is falling apart. For the person battling a sickness or a disease. For those gripped by fear and anxiety. For the addict who's given up. For the skeptic who just needs to know God is real. For the person who's consumed with money. For the mother who desperately wants a good night's sleep. For the person who feels like a failure. Resurrection life is here for you this morning. This table is so much more than history or art because Jesus makes this same offer to you. His life for yours. He invites you to this very table. He invites you to drink from his cup. He looks at you and says, I know about all the messed up places in your life. I know and I love you. I choose you. You are welcome at my table. doesn't seem right, does it? It's like, no, isn't he concerned about all the stuff? No, that's his job to deal with the stuff. He wants you to come just like you are. Would you please close your eyes for a few moments right here as we pause and consider the message? I want you to close your eyes simply because I don't want you looking around and thinking about anyone or anything else. Because maybe you're being gripped by fear and anxiety yourself. Maybe today even you're feeling overwhelmed or purposeless. Maybe you feel like a failure that you've just made a mess of everything. I'm here to tell you, you're not without hope. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes everything for you and it changes everything for me. And if you'll just say yes 
to Jesus' invitation to his table, something absolutely miraculous will happen in your life. Listen, everybody. God is already reaching out to you now. He is here in this room right now. And some of you can sense that he's speaking to you. He's pulling on your heart. He's asking you to come to him. He wants you to surrender. As we near the end of this service, we're going to come to the Lord's table. This very table that celebrates what Christ did 2,000 years ago. It's called the communion table. The bread represents the body of Jesus broken so that you could be healed and whole. The cup represents the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Every failure, every fear, every foolish act that separates you from God can be wiped away by Jesus. Your broken past, your wounded yesterdays can be healed. And his resurrection is an exclamation point on this truth. He wants to fill you with life, hope, and purpose. If you'll simply turn to him, toward him, if you'll receive his invitation. As we worship together with this final song, I want you to realize that he's invited you to this table. He's he's actually set the table for you. He's ready to enter into a divine exchange with you. What you have for what he has. (laughs) It's a great deal for you. (laughs) Bring your burdens, whatever they are. Your sin for his mercy. Your pain for his peace. Your fear for his freedom. Your struggle for his strength. That's what Jesus wants for you. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to this table now. And as we come... Would you reveal yourself to every person in this room? Show us where we've missed it. Show us how in need we are. Help us to understand the invitation is to come and give our lives away to you, just like you gave your life away to me. I pray that as we come to this moment and this table, that you would speak to us. Help us to get on the right path, to have a new start, to to have a dramatic change in our lives. We choose that today. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for being here with us today at One Chapel. If God is doing something in your life, or if you're looking for ways to get connected, we are here to help. You can find everything you need for next steps at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages on your favorite podcast player, and you're always invited to church every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. Thanks for listening.